Amen. And to think about what he done for us. If you got a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 1. The book of Acts chapter 1, there's been a few people ask me, did you talk to Brother Nick about what you've been preaching? And No, I didn't. I wish I'd have told him I was fixing to start preaching in Acts for a few weeks because when he went to chapter 5, I was about to choke, but I ain't going to be messing with Ananias and Sapphira, so I was thankful. I'm not going to preach every verse, but we are going to preach some series of sermons. We're going to look at the book as a whole, and when you look at a book as a whole, it changes. You can just read a verse and a passage and you can kind of glean from that, but when you take good exegesis and you study and you use helps and you look at languages and you bring everything together, it changes the understanding of that book when you know why the purpose of the book, the theme of the book, um, the person who wrote it and why he wrote it and who did he write it to and what was he trying to say to them. And so as we look at the book of Acts today, we all know Luke wrote his gospel, the gospel of Luke. And this is the sequel. And a lot of times in movies, the sequel's never as good as the original. But I love Luke. It's not my favorite gospel. John is my favorite gospel if I had to pick one. But I like Luke's gospel, but I do love the book of Acts. It's an awesome book. I'm a historian nut, and so it's a book, kind of a history of the church and how it started and how it came on the scene. And so if you look with me this morning, we're going to read the first 11 verses and I want to talk to us starting out this morning about after Jesus was taking up. First thing you're going to see here, if you read it with me, Luke's going to say, the former account I made. He's talking about his gospel, the gospel of Luke that he wrote. If you was to read the gospel of Luke, you'd see that it's written to the same person. In the gospel of Luke, he says, most excellent Theopolis, which makes most people, students of the word, believe that Theopolis was a Roman dignitary some type of official politician or something he he was probably rich the word literally means lover of God Theopolis and so we don't know who Theopolis was but I don't know about you and since his name means lover of God I just take it that it's written to everybody who loves God amen you are a lover of God you ought to be able to look at this and be as interested as Theopolis would have been and so he says the former account I made O Theopolis of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So that was what Jesus done while he was on the earth. The book of Acts is everything that was done in Jesus' name through his disciples after he was taken up. And so I want you to look at it with me. He says, until the day in which he was taken up, after through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles who he had chosen, and to whom he also presented himself alive after his sufferings, talking about the cross, by many infallible, that is unmistakable in some translations, being seen by them for 40 days. Can you imagine they were with Jesus, seeing Jesus for 40 days after the resurrection, and he was speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus did. He, he spoke of the kingdom of God throughout the Gospels. And being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons 
which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, and here, notice how many times he emphasizes, they watched as he was taking up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Father, today as we read, we pray for a good study in the day and the weeks to come that you would use the book of Acts to invest and make a difference in our life, to transform us by the renewing of our mind that we might, Lord, through our everyday living, prove what is your good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Help us not to be conformed to this world, but to become the people you died for us to be. And we will thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The key verse to the book is 1-8. The whole book, you know, if there's something that we do not have a good understanding of in the Baptist church, it's the Holy Spirit. And I know the Holy Spirit has been misrepresented and overemphasized in some of our brothers and sisters in other denominations. But it's very been underemphasized to the point that it hurts the Baptist church in our denomination. It's if we're scared to think and talk about what the Holy Spirit is doing in our life and what is required of us to have him or we won't be able to do. The most important thing you need to understand is this is the key verse. Jesus told them. He spoke of the kingdom of God. The, this is a kingdom book. And they said, are you fixing to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said, listen, it's not for you to know about seasons and times that the Father has put in his authority. But for you <laughs> right now, you need to tarry. You need to wait in Jerusalem and wait for the promise that I've been telling you about. And you need to stay there and wait because you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem where we are now and in all Judea, that's the surrounding area of Jerusalem and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And friends, it was so important that the Holy Spirit had to come for them to be able to be witnesses that would be fruitful, that would be able to have the ability to represent Christ with a witness that would help accomplish what you see in the book of Acts. It started in Jerusalem. When you get to the end, it's not only went to Judea, it's not only went through Samaria, it's honeycombed the then-known world of the Roman Empire, and Paul is in the capital of the known world at the end of the book. In 30 years, God done that through these people. And friends, I want you to think about this. Acts is a kingdom book. Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God at the book's beginning in verse 3. It says right there that for his 40 days that he was with them, he spoke, look at the bottom of verse 3, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The church is not just the church. We are an extension. We are an expression of God's kingdom. When you get to the last two verses of the book, Paul is in Rome. He's standing there preaching 
and he's been arrested, taken to Rome on Caesar's nickel. And it says, then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house. He received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, nobody forbidding him. Guys, listen, you need to understand it's not just about what we see happening here in the day that we live. We are to represent the kingdom of God through his presence in the church. Look at this. The church is the expression of God's kingdom here on earth during this age in history. When they were saying, are you going to return the kingdom to Israel at this time? Jesus said, it's not for you to know times and seasons that are in the Lord's authority. Friends, we are in the church age. We will be in the church age till Jesus returns. It tells us we just read that just as he went up to heaven, he's coming back from heaven. And for us right now, we are to be about the kingdom agenda. The kingdom agenda, if you look, is the unifying theme throughout the scriptures. Throughout the scriptures, everything is about the kingdom of God and our part in it. In the Old Testament, God's witness nation, his chosen people, that he was manifesting his presence through, that he was working his plan of salvation through, was Israel, the people, the Jews. In the New Testament, his chosen people, his covenant people, where God is manifesting his presence and where he is doing his redemptive work is the church. What is the church's job? What does he expect us to do? He expects us to live godly lives, to live lives that where we get saved and we're born again and the Spirit comes into our life and we are able to live a life to where the Spirit can empower us so that we can be his witnesses. If you're not a witness, if you're not sharing, you're not doing what God has left the church here to do. The church's primary function each and every day, every moment, is to be a witness living in the power of the, the spirit he put in you if you're saved, and to start in your Judea to go to your Samaria and to the other ends of the earth. I want you to think about this. The church exists to serve King Jesus and his kingdom. It's not here for us. It's not about the church. The church is here for him, and the church is here to represent the kingdom of God and to be working for him and to accomplish his objective. King Jesus died on a cross so that people can be saved. He gave his life and shed his blood so that there can be a church. Why? Because one day he wants us all to live forever in his kingdom. But God wants to be with us so much. You ever thought about this? We're fixing to look at it. We are going to die one day and go to heaven. And what a wonderful thing to think about what salvation has provided. But you know the amazing thing to me is God didn't wait for us to go to heaven once Jesus took away our sin and once the cross and the blood of Christ washed us and we were redeemed and purchased and we were made right with God, he moved in to us. He didn't wait for us to go to heaven to live with him. He came, according to the Bible, to live in us. And now his spirit lives in every person who's really saved. You're born again. Jesus said, except a man be born again, you cannot enter my kingdom. Born of what? Born of the spirit. And friends, I want you to think about this. Acts is the record of what happened when the church, filled with the Holy Spirit's power, became a witness for Jesus. Can you imagine what would happen in your community, in your neighborhood, if the Holy Spirit got a hold of you and overcame you and was in control of you and was empowering and enabling you and reminding you every day of what Jesus did for you and made you his witness? Can you imagine what would happen if 10 people in this church got revived? Got a spiritual awakening. 
Because that's what causes spiritual awakenings. That's what makes revival. That's what makes churches make a difference. And friends, I want you to think about this. The most important verse of the whole book is verse 8. You shall receive power when what? The Holy Spirit has come upon you. My question today is, what, I, I know you believe in Jesus. You believe the Father sent him, that he so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. What do you believe about the Holy Spirit? Do you have a biblical understanding, knowledge of who he is and what he does? Is what the Bible says he should be doing in your life happening? Or are you empowered? Have you learned to trust him just like you trust in the cross? I had to trust what Jesus did for me on the cross to be saved, to get born again. But if I want to live saved, if I want to be a fruitful, faithful witness that bears fruit for the kingdom, I'm going to have to be someone also who trusts and relies on the Holy Spirit. In the Baptist church, you're scared to death of it, most of us. We're totally misunderstanding. I'm not here talking about you're going to have to talk in tongues. But I'm here talking about you're going to have to speak with boldness the words of God in the power of the Holy Spirit or you ain't right with God. You're not walking in fulfillment of what he saved you for. He expects us to be people who live in a way that his spirit that dwells in us can manifest himself in power and enablement and give us the ability to witness. The number one reason most of us don't witness is we don't have this help. It was so important that Jesus had spent three years personally discipling them. Jesus himself preparing them, teaching them, showing them by example, by teaching truth. And he had done everything he could do But he said, don't go accomplish the mission. Don't even try yet until the promise from the Father that I told you about comes. Have you ever looked at how much the Holy Spirit is talked about in the Word of God? You know, when we look at this book, you know, this book, um, it can be outlined from this verse. Chapters 1 through 12, focus on Peter and the Jewish mission. Peter was the one that was doing the ministry. And from chapters 13 to 28, focus on Paul and the Gentile mission. And there's two kinds of people being saved in the church. They're not black. They're not Korean. They're, 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 they're not just lost and saved. But they're, they're, there's Gentiles in the eyes of God and there's Jews. That's how he looks at us. There's the chosen people of God from the Old Testament covenant, and then there's those of us who come to Christ through the New Testament covenant, through Jesus. But when you look at it, according to this verse, Jerusalem was where it started. That's where Pentecost happened. That's where the church was birthed and the Spirit came. And on the day of Pentecost, that was in Jerusalem. And it was primarily to Jews that they were getting saved. And it's primarily the person that you see involved steps up, preached the first sermon that 3,000 people were saved. Peter, the next chapter, chapter 3, when they go in the temple, John's with him, but who's the one speaking and preaching and people are getting saved? Peter and John. Peter. The first part of the gospel, I mean this book, in verses 1 through chapter 7 is focused primarily on Peter and what's happening in Jerusalem. And they get so many people saved that things begin to happen, they begin to get persecuted, and Paul raises up as Saul, he persecutes the church, and the church is scattered. And then you see in chapters 8 through chapters 10, 
You see two guys who raise up named Philip and Stephen. They go to Samaria and they begin to preach there. And while they're in Samaria, the apostles go out there because they hear now that God's saving people in Samaria. He's saving people who are only half Jew. Samaritans were half Jewish and half Gentile. So they go out there and you can read about it in chapters 8. And then all of a sudden, Paul gets saved. (laughs) And Paul gets converted from Saul, the Jesus-hating, church-persecuting Pharisee, the religious man void of the Spirit of God, to Paul the apostle filled with the Spirit of God. And he's in the rest of the book. And so you really only have, it's called the Acts of the Apostles, but the main two apostles that it's telling about is Peter and Paul, and then you got a little bit about John. The others are mentioned in the beginning. But guys, listen, the main character that dominates the whole book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is personally referenced 57 times in 28 chapters. But most of us live as if he's not even a part of our salvation experience. We don't even think about him, much less depend on him. He's a person. He was such a part of God, apparently, that while Jesus was here on the earth down below, he couldn't come and do what he does now today. I want you to think. Jesus says, Terry, wait. And once I get up to heaven, I will send him. Now, guys, we know what happened, those of us who are familiar. But I want you to think about this. While Jesus was still on earth, he taught a lot about the Holy Spirit. I want you to listen to what he said in John chapter 16, the night of his arrest, the day before he went to the cross to die, his last time with his men, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, what he's saying, if I am not taken up, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Guys, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit himself. It was the Father's promise. He poured it out. Listen what he said. He talked to him in chapter 14, the same night. Listen what he says. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. He's preparing them. I'm leaving. I'm going up. But I'm fixing to send him down. As Jesus went up, the Spirit came down. And friends, I don't know about you. It's changed the world. The Spirit living in us is just as significant as when Jesus himself walked among us. And listen what he says. Don't catch, catch this. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. The world can't see the spirit of God. It can't know the spirit of God. But you know him present. He told him, you know him. Why do you know him? For he dwells with you. Present. Throughout the Old Testament, the Spirit of God dwelt among men. It rested on men, but nowhere did it live in men. But listen what he says. The Spirit of truth whom you, the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor... But you know him right now. For he dwells with you today and will be future tense in you. That's what Jesus told him. He will be in you. Now, guys... I don't know what you think about Pentecost, but believing in Pentecost don't make you a Pentecostal. It makes you a biblical Christian. Believing in a fulfillment of Pentecost makes you an empowered Christian. 
And I thank God being a preacher. If it wasn't for Pentecost, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. If it wasn't for Pentecost, I'd give up. But something keeps happening in me. We just prayed a while ago, me and John. Anoint us, Lord. Fill us, Lord. Let it not be us. Save someone today, Lord. Convict them. You see, the Bible says that when he has come, it says that he will convict the world of sin. He will convict them of righteousness. He will convict them of judgment. Our job's just to let him work through us. And friends, listen, when the day finally came, what a day it was. Think about this. This church, Jesus told them, tarry, don't go. Wait. They went in the upper room. They'd been staying in that upper room. We know they went in the upper room the night that Jesus was crucified. So for 40 days, they'd been in the upper room, and occasionally Jesus shows up. And Jesus would talk to them. Meet me on this mountain. Jesus said, do not leave. Does anyone know how long it probably was that they were in the upper room? Probably 10 days. Pentecost was 50 days after Passover. Jesus was crucified on Passover. Has anyone ever waited in one room for 10 days? Now, they had all their friends with them. It says that there was the 12 and the women who was with them and 120 disciples. But they was praying. They never went, tried to do. They didn't say, well, God, Jesus has left. We're going to have to come up with something. We need a, we need a form a committee. <laughs> we need to get some programs. We need to go build a building. No. They said, we need to wait. Because that's what Jesus said to do. And they prayed together in one accord, in one spirit, for probably 10 days at least. And as they were all praying together in one accord, it says in chapter 1 of verse 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, then all, they were all with one accord in one place. Where? In that upper room. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Oh, Lord, something's coming down now. And friends, you can get caught up and say, oh, if you don't believe this, you don't believe the cross. If you're not going to believe this, you don't believe in Jesus' ability to forgive you. Because, friend, this is as much a part of being a Christian as all the rest is. And it says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them and divided tongues as a fire and sat upon each of them. And, friends, I want you to notice verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, we get caught up in because of what we have been already influenced with. If you read this, this was not gibberish. This was not an unknown prayer language. There was all kind of different nations from all over the place made up of devout men. And when they began to speak, all of them heard them in their own language. They even heard them in their own dialect. They said, not only is he American, but he's from the South. And not only is he from the South, he's from New Orleans. And they said, what is going on? What is this? Now, they heard the rushing mighty wind, and they heard all the rattling of heaven. So they came, and it got their attention. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. You see, God wants to reach every nation under heaven, not just Bethany, not just your family, everybody. And so he gives us the ability to do what we can't do. The reason you don't witness is you can't witness in your own power, in your religion. You'll never be a witness till the Holy Spirit comes upon you 
and you have his power. Friends, last week, Brother Trey, got, they got to sickness at her house. But Brother Trey came up here. He got saved. Something happened to Brother Trey. You see, Brother Trey came up here. He was flesh. But when Jesus came in, now he's born again. Jesus said, what's flesh is flesh and what's spirit is spirit. You must be born both of the flesh and the spirit. A man, except he be born again, cannot enter my kingdom. And friends, when you get born again, the spirit moves into your life. He dwells in you. That's what Jesus would have been teaching them. And what does he do? He enables us and gives us the power to be his witness. Look at what happened in verse 4. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You see, the Spirit gave them utterance. Man, I don't have anything to say without God's help. I don't have any, I don't have any ability to stand, and especially when I'm preaching and knowing there's people who don't want to hear it. But you preach because the Spirit gives you utterance. Look at down at verse 11. It says, Cretans and Arabs. It says, we bear them speaking in our own languages the wonderful works of God. See, that's what God wants us to do. He wants to give us utterance to speak the wonderful works of God. If God saved you, you got something to tell. If Jesus lives in you and he's at work in you, you got something to share. And friends, I don't know about you today, but thank God that he didn't give us this unbelievable, difficult mission and leave us as orphans because Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'll come to you. I'll not leave you as orphans. I'll be with you. As Peter began to preach the first sermon, Peter, who denied Christ three times 50 days ago, is now standing in the temple where they are in charge who arrested Jesus and had him crucified, and he's preaching. And he begins to explain to them what's happening. It says when you look right there, in verse 14, but Peter standing up with the 11. You see, God wants us to stand up, my friend, for him. When's the last time you stood up for Jesus? We complain about all these anti-Christ Democrats that are ruining our country. How many of you will look at them in the eye and tell them we need Jesus? All these, I need to shut up. But all these woke entertainers who we've made celebrities, who have more impact on your children than you and Jesus because you let them watch that television. And they're more of a disciple of American media and culture than the church and the word of God. Have you stood up for Jesus lately and spoke for him? If you haven't, don't blame Jesus that they live in like hellions. We have a responsibility. We've been given the ability to keep our responsibility I know people all don't like me. Have you figured that out? But I'm not here to be liked. I'm here to speak the word of God. I'm here to take this Bible and study it, whether you want to hear it or not, and tell you what it says. And to do that, I need the Holy Spirit to help me. I need him to give me boldness. That's exactly what you see happen here. Peter spoke. Look at what he tells him when you get to verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by you. By God, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him. In your midst, as you yourselves also know. Y'all know who Jesus is. Y'all know what he did. He said, but you also know what you did. 
You nailed him to the cross. You crucified him. And he said, look at what he says in verse 23. Him being delivered up by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, but whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Look at what he says in verse 33. I'm getting to where I want to preach. He says, therefore being, he says, verse 32, this Jesus, this Jesus whom y'all crucified, God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. That's what God told him to do. Now here's Peter who walked up to a fire. He, Jesus was being falsely accused by the Sanhedrin and he was arrested. And the high priest slave girl at the fire said, you're one of them. I know you're one of them because you're a Galilean. I can tell by your language. Peter said, I don't even know the man. <laughs> not once, not twice, but three times. You know why? He was flesh. He was carnal. He had good intentions, just like a lot of us. He told Jesus, Lord, not only will I not deny you, I'll go to prison and die for you. And Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, Peter, <laughs> Simon, Simon, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. And when that rooster crowed that morning, Jesus somehow through the providence of God was being moved. And it says that Peter was standing there and Jesus looked at him and it says that Peter wept. He wept. See, we've all failed him, but Peter repented. Peter said, I want my relationship. He, he repented and Jesus restored him during those 40 days while he was risen. But guys, listen, it wasn't until after Jesus was taken up and Jesus spent the spirit down that Peter preached boldly to the day he was crucified like his Lord upside down, historians tell us. He was a different person because he had a different spirit. And guys, what the world needs to see more than our religion, more than our buildings and our money and our programs is the spirit of God in us. The presence of Jesus. Because they told them, just like they're telling us, just like many of you are falling for it and, and not talking anymore. They told him to shut up. Said, quit talking about this. You know why they couldn't? Look what he said in that sermon. You never really probably seen this on this sermon. It says in verse 32, this Jesus, Peter said, God is raised up, which we are all witness. Now look at what he says in verse 33 and catch this. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God. When was he exalted to the right hand of God? When he was taken up. Ten days ago. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he, Jesus, poured out this which you now see and hear. He said, this Jesus whom you crucified that you thought was dead, God raised him from the dead. The Father ascended him back to the throne. He's at the right hand of all glory. Now he has power and authority that's been given to him. All, and he sent this. He poured it out. That's what he'd been talking about. In the Baptist church, we operate. This is our greatest asset. And we depend on everything but this if we're not careful. And the more religious a man is and the more a man depends on himself and on money and on programs, the more he'll balk and the more he'll come against a spirit-filled man. Because it reminds him that you're just going through motions of religion. You know who attacked Jesus the most? Not the Gentiles, not the heathens. 
the religious leaders void of the spirit of the living God. Puffed with pride and self-righteousness, Jesus looked at them and said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you'd always listened to me, I would have took you up like chicks under the wings of its mother, but no. You you resisted me with your stiff, hard neck. And friends, listen, today, over and over, you'll see in this book, when we go through it, people resist the Holy Spirit just like they resisted Jesus. They resist God's life in us just like they resisted God's people. And friends, today, if there's something that the world can't handle... (laughs) It's spirit-filled people in the name of Jesus. They can't stop us. They might persecute us, but that'll just give us more determination to show them the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when I read this book. Friends, I want you to look at what happens here. It's not just in them. Don't think, but that was in the Bible. That was in the book of Acts. We don't get the Holy Spirit, do we? Oh, yeah, we do. It's what makes it so wonderful. He preaches and he says down there when you get to verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. That would be Messiah to them. So when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. That's usually as far as a Baptist gets. But look at the rest of that verse. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, you don't just get forgiven of your sins. When your sins are remitted, when they're removed, somehow, apparently, this is my belief, I don't know why the Spirit couldn't come down to Jesus went back up. But I do know this. Nowhere was anybody ever born again, and dwelt with the Spirit till after Jesus did what he did on the cross. And I think the cross was a requirement that his blood had to wash us. He had to pay the price for our original sin. We're all born in sin. You all have inherited a sin nature. It comes from Adam. You don't, you're not a sinner because you sinned. You sin because you are a sinner. You can't help it. You don't have to train your child to lie. He'll learn on his own. Amen. He just does it because it's in his nature to lie. And it's in your nature to lie too. That's why some of us is like, I know this is a pretty, I ain't got none of that in my life, but I'm righteous. I'm I'm a witness for God. Can't even remember the last time you told somebody about Jesus. (laughs) I'm not here to hurt your feelings. I'm here to tell you what the church has to get out of these four walls and go and be witnesses in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what changed this season in the history of the church. But guys, listen. Not only did he say that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit, but look at what he says in the next verse. Then Peter said, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Ain't nobody further off than us Gentiles, amen? Living over here in Bethany. <laughs> and friends, listen, I can only explain what happened to me 
And that Jesus didn't just save me, forgive me, and say, all right, do the best you can, you get to go to heaven. Heaven came to me. (laughs) I was like everybody else one day. But one day, instead of waiting and just hoping I'll get there one day, heaven came and the Spirit of God dwells in me now. And I'm going to tell you what, the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, all things become new. That's what happens when you get born again. You're not perfect, you don't understand everything, but you're not like you were. When you come to the cross and the blood of Jesus is applied and you repent and you believe in Christ and your sins are dealt with, at that moment, the Bible says you are sealed into the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Paul says in the, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 13. In Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. Has anybody done that? You heard the gospel. He says, the gospel of yourself in Jesus you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of the inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Did you hear what that said? Friends, when you got saved, you don't just hope. You know why a lot of us don't have assurance? When the Holy Spirit is in you and he's getting to do what he wants to do, you're not grieving by continuing to live sinful and you're, you're striving to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. You're never going to be perfect, but the spirit knows your heart. He knows your desire is to be spiritual, to not wealth carnal, to not love the world, but to love the kingdom, to live for Jesus, not for self. And he knows that you have a heart that is repentant, that wants to be right with God. The spirit of God's working in you and he will not leave you alone. But you can grieve him, the Bible says. And a lot of us are doing things in our life that grieve him. The Bible says if the Lord goes to work and he convicts you and he corrects you and chastens you, which he says, I've corrected and chastened every son that is my own. If you are without correction, you are not mine. You are a bad word that we don't say in the Baptist church. He says, I correct, I chasten. I convict. He also says, he scourges, he punishes. How many of you have experienced that? I have. You know why? I wasn't listening to the Spirit. I was living for Marvin. I was doing what religion says you're okay. Man, it's easy to look okay in here today. Religious. But it don't matter what we look like to one another. What does God say about us and what is his Spirit responding in us? You see, for the Spirit to work, we got to walk in the Spirit. And as the Spirit has its place in our life, He's the one that confirms we are the children of God. Turn with me to one place and we're going to close and we're going to present the gospel. Turn with me to the book of Romans. And I want you to think about this. Acts is one of the most important books in the New Testament because Acts is unique because it links the gospels with the epistles. If you don't know what the epistles are, that's the letters that the apostles wrote. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Then you have Romans. Romans, the greatest of the epistles in my opinion. Then you have 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Then you have Galatians. Then you have Ephesians. Galatians. If you didn't have the book of Acts to tell you how the church got from being in Jerusalem, in the temple, to how'd they get to Rome? (laughs) I mean, when the Gospels quit, they were in Jerusalem. 
Jesus had just went up. How did the church get from Jerusalem, nothing but Jews, but in Rome, mostly Gentiles? The book of Acts describes that. It's a bridge. It connects us to the epistles. And friends, the epistles are all built off of what you see actually happening in an historical presentation of the church that took 30 years from the time Jesus ascended till Paul and the, was at the end in prison waiting for his sentence. Now, we believe Paul probably got out of prison from that, but Luke stopped at that time, and we believe that was in 62. So I want you to think about this. In the book of Romans in the 8th chapter, Paul talks about what we're talking about today, about the spirit in the life of a Christian. And look at what he says in chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Friends, you can't claim that verse and just say, there's no condemnation in me, I'm in Jesus. But you're in the flesh every day of your life. You live for the world, you act like the world, you love the world. You cuss like the world, you have anger like the world, you bitter with people, you don't forgive people, you full of all kind of muddled up junk in your heart that the spirit is being grieved. The Bible says that there's no condemnation for those who walk in the spirit. And friends, none of us walk perfectly in the spirit, but your life should reflect more often you're in the spirit than in the flesh. A person who's in the flesh all the time, the result of his life will be a manifestation of the deeds of the flesh. We're going to look at that. You don't want that stuff in your life. It's ugly. He gives you a list of it in the book of Galatians chapter 5. But if you walk in the Spirit, you'll experience the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, comfort, patience, self-control, goodness. And man, when you look at a person, he can fake other stuff, but you can't fake that. <laughs> the Spirit has to do that. And he can try to fake that he's a Christian, but if he's filled with all the deeds of the flesh, he's of the flesh. So the Spirit is active in our life, and he's who gives you assurance. The reason some of you don't have assurance is the Spirit ain't dwelling in you, maybe. And if he is dwelling in you, you got so used to just being religious like most Baptists, that you grieved him for a while. And if you grieve him for a while, he becomes inactive. To the, the Bible warns that if you rebel and reject long enough, you can quench him. Quench him. The most miserable person in here this morning ain't the lost person. It's the backslidden, so far from God, child of God, who's the spirits in you, but you've grieved him and you're quenching him. That's a miserable person. And he, he, he can't sit under the word. He's he, he He's miserable. You know how I know? I've been that person. I've got in the flesh. I've got away from God. You, yeah. If you be honest, you have to. It's just that you're religious and self-righteous and think because what you do, but what we do don't make us right. It's what he does. It's all grace. It's all a gift. If I have anything to boast in, Paul said, it's the cross. It's Jesus. <laughs> Without Jesus, I'm a stinking, rotten scoundrel of a sinner that will hurt my Lord and I will fall short of his glory every time. But with the Spirit, I have hope and enablement and power to live a life that glorifies my Lord. 
And look at what Paul goes on and says. Look at verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Have you noticed once you begin to feed the flesh, the flesh just takes over? (laughs) You start giving into lust. Get on that social media and start looking at some of that stuff. You know what I'm talking about, men. It'll take your mind from you. Not only will it take your mind from you, it'll take your heart from you. It'll take the spirit from you. Ladies, you can't covet and want material things more than godly things and be a shopaholic and run your credit cards up and be an undisciplined bad steward and love all the things the world has at the cost of not being what God. you got to put God in there. For those living according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. You know what I found? The more I give in to the Spirit, the more I begin to like Him, the more I begin to follow Him. The more I submit and surrender control to the Spirit, the more He crucifies my flesh for me. But at first, it's difficult. i got to say no to the flesh, and i got to say yes to the Spirit. But ain't you glad that God gave us the Spirit? We have a choice. A lost man doesn't. He's hopelessly trapped in his addiction. He's hopelessly trapped in his sinful nature. He may be religious. He may agree with the law, but he ain't going to live the law. The law does nothing but condemn us. It never sets us free. The only thing that can set us free is the grace that the Spirit brings. This may be over some of your head, but I hope you're getting an understanding some of you, do you know what I'm talking about? Ain't that an amen? Now, I want you to look at this. We're about to close. I didn't say this, but the Apostle Paul says it. He goes on, he says, For to be carnally minded, in verse 6, is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Maybe the reason you're not experiencing the life of God and the peace of God is because you're living in carnality more than you're living in spiritualness. Now, I want you to see what he says. So then, look at verse 8. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're living in the flesh, the deeds of the flesh, you got bitterness and anger and unforgiveness and jealousy and envy. You're mad. You got a temper and you got lust and it's out of control. You can't please God. And if Christ is in you, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now pay attention to this, verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead, that's a pretty powerful, also will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Guys, listen, until Jesus came to me, I didn't have a, I didn't have a chance with dope. I didn't have a chance with alcohol. I had no chance at all to become a good husband. I had been living for my first eight years as a bad husband. And those things were rooted in They were in my life, and I didn't have the ability to get rid of them. Now that I look back, not knowing, all I did was give Jesus everything, and Jesus came in, and Jesus, in his strength, changed my life. And he'll change yours. He does it through the Spirit. And listen to what he says right there. Verse 10, and if Christ is in you, the body now is dead because of sin. He says in verse 11, but if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, You are no longer by yourself. His spirit will give your body the ability that dwells in us. Now, look at this right here in verse 13. For if you are living according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
And look at what he says, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You know what gives you assurance? When the Spirit is active in your life and he's leading you. He's taking the Word of God and He's showing you. He's causing you to repent. He's convicting you. He's correcting you. He's changing you. The Spirit of God changing you. That's what gives a man assurance. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. When the Spirit of God is in charge of your life, the devil won't accuse you and make you think you're lost. Because listen, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. And we're fixing to close. Look at what he says. For as many as are led, look at verse 16. Boy, it's quiet this morning. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are a child of God. Do you see that? The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. How does he do that? He he leads us. He changes us. He's at work in our life. And friends, I don't know about you, but when the Spirit bears witness with your spirit, No man will make you think you're lost. And on the other side of that, no man can make you think you're saved. When people come up here and they're struggling with their assurance, I say, man, you need to get with Jesus. Get at the altar. But I will tell them this. If you don't have assurance, you're either in sin and your life is not being led by the Spirit, you're in rebellion, or you're not a Christian. Because if you're a Christian, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Because if the Spirit of God doesn't dwell in you, you're not a Christian. Where do you get that? I'm glad you asked, and we're going to pray. Look at what he says. Verse 9. But if you're in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Jesus said, except a man be born again, you can't enter my kingdom. You can get baptized in the water. You can join the church role. You can be a preacher. You can be a deacon. You can be a Sunday school teacher. But unless the Spirit of God dwells in you, you're not His. That's why Pentecost is so good to know about and understand. Don't let a word cause you to miss out on the greatest blessing of salvation this side of heaven. God in you, the hope of glory. Friends, today I'm going to tell you as nicely as I can. If you don't know because of what God's doing in your life, for sure, if there's any doubt and you've been wondering, I would say I'm going to make sure. How would you make sure? I would say today, Lord, having full understanding, I'm coming just like they did to repent of all the things in my life that shouldn't be there. And, Lord, I've got so many things in my life that I know shouldn't be there that it's caused me to doubt. I don't even know if I'm a Christian anymore. But, Lord, today I'm coming not only to be saved and forgiven and given remission of my sins, I'm coming to receive the Holy Spirit and be born again. I want to be adopted and I want to be sealed by the Holy Spirit and be a purchased possession. Lord, If you'll come and live in me, I'll do my best to live for you. So I'm asking you today, does the Spirit of God live in you? Because Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot enter my kingdom. Friends, that's the difference between the church in Pentecost, Acts and the church today. 
over and over, you're going to see. They prayed together. They were unified together. They were all together because the Spirit made them one. And as they prayed, they prayed for boldness to speak the words of God and to go and be a witness. And they went, and the Holy Spirit would fill them, and they would preach, and God added to the church every day. It's not that complicated. Get your life right with God and let the Spirit have its way. You'll be witnessing before you get home. (laughs) Because you're going to be different than you were when you come in here. Don't stay all muddled up. Don't give Satan victory. You're a child of God. Take a hold of your inheritance and let the Spirit of God have his way in your life. So I know there's somebody in here today just like Trey that's lost. You've been to that altar maybe a time or two, but nothing happened. You've asked God a couple of times, why is this in my life? Why do I act this way? Why do I feel this way? Going to church, trying to work in the church, trying to do good things, trying to be a better person. None of it's work because none of it can do it. Only Jesus can do it. You see, the wonderful thing about Jesus, he says, come to me today just as you are. Bring your disappointments. Bring your failures. Bring your shame. Bring those things that are causing you to feel defeated and lay them at my feet. And give them to me, and I'll change you. I'll help you. I'll make a difference. Today I'm saying, get real. Come to Jesus, and Jesus will come and live in you. Would you stand with me today? Father, I shared what you put on my heart. And I thank you for the great study of the book of Acts. And I believe with all my heart there's someone right now that's under conviction. They're scared if they was to die today, they don't know where they'd go. They don't have the peace and assurance of knowing they're a child of God. And there's some of us, Lord, who knows we're saved, but, Lord, we're not like we used to be. When we first got saved, we loved the Word of God. We read it every day, and we were regularly a student of it. We prayed. We were in communication with the Father through the Son. And because we were in that relationship, the Spirit of God abided in us. But Lord, today we're not where we used to be. We're backslidden. We're in need of revival. We we are just going through the motions. We're churched, but we're not right. Today, Lord, the Spirit calls you. He says, I'm grieving. I'm I'm asking you to come. Jesus stands at the door and knocks. What was he knocking for? To come and repent. But you got to let him in. Do we want revival? Do we want to make a difference in our day? Do we want to be like the church in the book of Acts? Yes, we do. So I'm asking you to listen to God and let him have his way. Father in heaven, I just pray now for the lost person here that they need to be saved Lord that they would come and for the person Lord who may not be listening to you that today they would obey Lord I thank you for your great salvation and I thank you for forgiveness but I thank you Lord also that you don't leave us here by ourselves. once we're saved you come into our life Lord I pray today that you would save someone that you would help those that are saved to leave here with the joy of that salvation filled with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.